Today's installment of Nach Yomi is Sefer Shmuel Aleph Perekei. This series has been sponsored generously by Mr. Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati Zichonad Bacha, as well as by Charlotte Shaverdi for the success and continued growth of Yeshivat Deavaskel. Thank you to all the sponsors, and as always, all of our series and all of our learning is available for sponsorship for those who wish to support our efforts. We're going to begin the beginning of a very fascinating, slightly bizarre episode in Sefer Shemuel, which is what happens to the Aaron, what happens to the Ark of the Covenant in the hands of the Plishtim. How they, we know that in the previous chapter, the sons of Eli die on the battlefield and the Aaron is captured, and they, the Plishtim take the Aaron and uh, have an interesting. Uh, struggle with it, or an interesting, uh, there an interesting series of events occur, and their response is fascinating uh, and odd. But uh, the the Tanakh saw fit for us to be taught about this and to be uh, to to delve in to how the Plishtim viewed the Aron and what they did with it. So we said, Plishtim lakhu et Elohim." The Plishtim took the Ark of God. They brought it from Evan Ezer to Ashdoda, to Ashdod, which is one of the major cities of the Plishtim, actually not far from where I'm sitting right now. They took the Ark of God. They brought it into the house of Dagon. Dagon was their idol. He was like a half man, half fish. They were sea people who were very much involved in, the, uh, in boats and fishing and uh, sea trade and so on. And so their God was a type of a combination of a person and a fish. They put it next to Dagon. Now there's two ways of interpreting this. The Midrash actually, the Midrashim discuss this action of the Plishtim and they have two different angles on how we can interpret what the Plishtim did with the Aron Elohim. You notice that it emphasizes Aron Elohim. it emphasizes the Ark of God, meaning to say that the Plishtim had a sense that the, that uh, of the reality of Hashem. They recognized that the Aron was something very significant, very important. They didn't discount the uh, the specialness of the Aron at all. The question is, why did they place it in the house of Dagon? One interpretation in the Midrash is that they did it as an honor to the Aron. They were showing that they recognized the uh, uniqueness, uh, the greatness of the God of Israel, and uh, therefore they wanted to place it in the house of Dagon as a, as a type of an honor, put it next to their own God. That's one interpretation of the Midrash. Another interpretation of the Midrash is that no, that, uh, that it was meant to be like a subjugation of the Aron Elohim. It's a way of saying that you lost, the God of Israel lost to Dagon. That's the significance of the battle. In other words, the Chilul Hashem that occurs, it's very important to reflect upon that. When the Jewish people lose in battle to their idolatrous opponents, there is an element of chilul Hashem, of desecration of God's name, because it appears almost as if the, uh, the God of the idolaters has vanquished the God of Israel, God forbid. And so therefore, one, one interpretation is that this was a placing of the Arona Elohim in the presence of the Gon as a way of saying that the Ark of God is somehow subjugated to, subordinated to, defeated by Dagon. So that's two possible interpretations. Did they honor the Aron by placing it there or did they wish to show that they had conquered the Aron by placing it there? In either case, we're going to see that what the events that occurred to the Plishtim are meant to counteract this attitude. Which attitude it was, 
is is debatable, but in in a certain sense, in a certain sense, there's a common denominator to both attitudes, both the attitude that. Uh, maintains that placing the Aron Elohim in the presence of the Gon is an honor for the Aron, and the view that somehow the Aron Elohim was defeated by the Gon, both of them stem from the same underlying perception that there is some kind of an equivalence between the, the uh, God of Israel and the gods of other nations. And that's really what the Chilul Hashem is, that, uh, that is... Uh, uh, that we encounter whenever the Jewish people lose in battle, that the loss contributes to the sense that um, that the God of Israel is somehow on an even even playing field with the gods of the nations. So in any case, they put it in the house of Dagon, the people of Ashdod woke up the next morning, Dagon was knocked over forward, in the presence of the Aron of Hashem, this is very interesting. Every word in the Navi, of course, is significant, is important. You see that the Navi switched over from calling it Arona Elohim, the Aron of God, which is a more generic term for God that could apply even to other gods. In other words, it's just like the term in English, God, that could have multiple significations. It doesn't exclusively refer to Hashem. Here, it changed the language to Lifne Arona Hashem. And that is the distinct name of God that refers to his being eternal and transcendent, different from everything else. In other words, that was the message. That Dagon fell over was a demonstration that there's no comparison. You can't put Dagon and Hashem in the same category. They're not, some, they're not two entities that fall into the, under the same heading. And therefore, Dagon falling before the Aron Hashem, because Hashem means the transcendence and distinctness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, so that was what happened first. They put Dagon back up. Again, use the word Hashem again. And it says, again, Dagon fell over the next morning too. The head of Dagon and its two hands were cut off and placed on the, uh, uh, on the entranceway. Only the body of Dagon remained in its, uh, you know, in its place. The rest of the uh, remained intact, basically. The, uh, the uh, head and the two hands were detached and were found at the doorway, basically, in the doorway of the house of Dagon. So you might see, and again, the, the fact that the Navi is emphasizing the word Yud Kevavke, it's using the word Hashem in order to emphasize how the whole purpose here is to demonstrate the Kiddushat Hashem, that we can't compare the gods of the other nations to Hashem. And so, uh, Therefore, none of the priests of Dagon or the people would ever step on the doorway, basically in that spot where, where those pieces of the Dagon had once been. In other words, they saw it as a sanctification uh, the fact that those pieces of Dagon landed in that spot was somehow a sign to them that there was something holy about that spot and now they could never tread on that spot again. So we see that they are interpreting what's happening here still in terms of their own idolatrous concepts of the, of the primacy of Dagon and the significance of Dagon. They're not getting the message here. And so they're interpreting the fact that the hands and the, the, hands and the head of Dagon were on the uh, doorway uh, we're, we're right there on the uh, the Miftan. That shows that uh, 
that there's something special about the Miftan. Instead of recognizing that it's an indication of Hashem trying to teach them that they can't compare their idolatrous pagan god to uh, Hashem. And Vatichbad Yad Hashem al Ashtodim Vaishimem, Hashem's hand became heavy on the Ashtodim and he caused them destruction. Vayach Otam, it's really Batichorim, et Ashtod Vet Givulea. He caused them to have a hemorrhoids, an interesting punishment to strike them with his hemorrhoids. The hemorrhoids, I think, is symbolic because the, it means that a person can't sit still because they're very uncomfortable. And here the idea is that they're trying to put the Aron to rest in a place that it really doesn't belong. And so Midah Keneged Midah, the symbolic significance of the uh, hemorrhoids is that they couldn't feel settled, they couldn't sit down, just like the Aron shouldn't be sitting in that place, it doesn't belong there. In other words, the Aron cannot be reduced to an object that is understood in the framework of the idolatry of the Plishtim. It has to be recognized as something other than that. And as we saw, the way that Bnei Eli perceived and presented the Aron and perceived and presented the way of God to the people was distorted enough that they thought it was compatible with the Plishti idolatry. This is a lesson, uh, an object lesson to teach them that that's not the case. So it says, when the people of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the Aron of the God of Israel will not stay with us. And notice they use the word Yashav, again, sitting, which is uh, perhaps a, uh, an allusion to the idea of the hemorrhoids. In other words, they can't sit down uh, comfortably. <coughs> and they, but they use the term God of Israel. In other words, they don't use the word Hashem because that concept is too abstract for them. The idea of God being transcendent and metaphysical, that's too abstract for them. But they said that God is, this God of Israel is being too tough on us and on Dagon, our God. So they gathered all of the princes of Plishtim together. So they decided to send it to Gat. So Et Aron Eloheisel, that's what they did. They redirected it to Gat. Vayhi Achorei Hesabu Oto. After they did that, Vati Yad Adonai Ba'ir Meumag Dola Meod. Vayach Et Anshei Ha'ir Mekadon Vat Gadol. Vayisateru Lahem Techorim. So now what happens is that they actually, Hashem struck down some of them, which means that they actually died. And they had hemorrhoids that were further inside the orifices of their body. So it was even more painful. There was nothing it could do about it. In other words, the condition got worse. But again, notice that when it talks about Hashem's intervention, it uses the term Yud Kevavke. It uses the word for God that, rec- that is a manifest his transcendence and his distinction from the gods or the concept of religion of the Plishtim. That is the core uh, lesson here that, that Hashem is trying to convey to them, but unsuccessfully. So they sent the Aaron of God to Ekron. Ekron. When the Ekronim heard that they were going to be sending the Aron to them, they said, no, you want us to die and our people to die because it's Aron. The idea was that there was a fear of God, there was a fear of death as a result of the Aron. They believed that the Aron was bringing them punishment, was bringing them bad luck, basically. And therefore it should be sent back. And whoever didn't die was struck with these hemorrhoids. The cry of the city was reached up to the heavens. The idea is that their concept of uh, 
they basically interpreted the events that were happening to them in the framework of their own superstitions and fear of death and, uh, and, and magical thinking. And we're going to see that this is developed in the next chapter as well. But the important point here is, as the Mefarshim point out, that having the Arona Elohim in foreign hands is the ultimate distortion because since it represents the covenant with Hashem and it represents the proper understanding of Hashem, when it falls into the hands of idolaters, that is the ultimate desecration and undermining of really what its message is and what it's supposed to represent. So it needs to return to the Jewish people. Will it return immediately to become a public spectacle like it was in the times of Eli? We're going to see that no, it does not. In fact, it remains... Uh, it remains uh, isolated from everybody until the times of David. However, uh, it, the, the point is that it can't be in the hands of Plishtim, who will either make it into a type of an idol, or think of it as a type of a uh, magical object, uh, which would completely undermine and distort the idea of the oneness of God that it's supposed to represent, and the kingship of God, and the Kiddushah, the transcendence of God that it's supposed to represent and to drive home. So being in the hands of a foreign uh, group that would, uh, that would distort it and rob it of its, of its meaning is worse than for it to be in the hands of the Jews, but not necessarily being in uh, its normal place. And that's really what's going to happen. We're going to see in the upcoming chapter that the Arona is going to be returned. But basically, instead of recognizing what they could have had a breakthrough and understanding Hashem from this experience... They interpreted the experience in terms of in religious terms that were familiar to them, but it was enough at least for them to capitulate and to surrender and to decide that they shouldn't be holding on to the Aaron of God any longer. And as we're going to see in the next chapter, they do send it back.